Hi, everyone. Uh, good to see you guys. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll go into the time of the sermon. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you that uh, you are here. Thank you for all the new faces that we get to enjoy worshiping together with uh, at this moment. God, uh, you are the Lord of all of our stories, and you know uh, each one of our hearts, and uh, may you direct their hearts as they uh, decide in the church community. Uh, may you give them wisdom. May you give them uh, good people uh, that can direct them and uh, just uh, walk with them, God, during this time as it can be a um, you know, difficult time to be deciding uh, church community for them to belong to God. But all in all, we just want to be gathered around your word uh, and listen and learn and be fed because you are the Lord um, that can guide us. You're the Lord that can feed us and love us like no other. Help us, Lord, pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, my name is Aiden, a pastor at CLC. And um, so we're going through this short series uh, where we explain uh, our church's vision. And if you go to the next slide, or maybe after those slides, there's an outline. So we explained our vision as a church is a vertical, horizontal, and missional church where we want to have you know, vertical relations with God first, and then you know, we go on to the horizontal relations with one another, and then we go outside of church walls to be a missional church. That's our vision. And last week, we talked about the word, how that is the primary means of grace where we get to um, walk with God. And today, we will talk about the second one, the horizontal relationship. So what do we do as a church as we try to relate to one another in this community? Um, again, if you're a newcomer here, I hope that help you um, uh, get to know our church better. So to follow along, uh, I have three points for this message. Uh, next slide. Uh, those are the source of the community, and second, the warning of the community, and the third, uh, commitment of the community. So please follow with me. Uh, first point, the source of the community, verse 1. Again, the passage is found in Galatians chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 10. And uh, the verses will be found on the screen as well. Uh, verse 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual uh, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So Apostle Paul is talking to or writing to the Galatian church here and, and the members there. And he's trying to um, uh, tell them to help restore uh, some members in their community who might be struggling with certain sins. And verse 2 we read more about that in verse 2 says bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ so these helpers are to come out of their comfort zone and actually bear the burdens of these brothers and sisters who are struggling and it is a burden if you think about it because in order to help people you have to get into their their mess and get yourself dirty in order to help uh, people in need 
And that's what Paul is asking, asking them to do. And he also says this fulfills the law of Christ. Uh, what that means is that the law of Christ is especially about loving your neighbor sacrificially. So by helping these brothers and sisters who are struggling, you're fulfilling that law from Christ. So here, the, what's clear is that Paul wants these guys to help others. But the one phrase that sticks out there is this one phrase that says, you who are spiritual. Uh, that can be confusing. That may sound like um, you know, Paul is singling out a special class of people to be helpers in this community, but that is farthest from the truth. What that means is this. The word spiritual simply means you know, every believer who lives by the Holy Spirit. Uh, in fact, Paul talked about this very topic in previous chapter, chapter 5. For example, uh, chapter 5, verse 16, he said, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And uh, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So Paul is teaching that you know, once a person becomes a Christian, once he puts his faith in Christ, um, Holy Spirit enters uh, these new believers and the Holy Spirit starts enabling them to change and grow to become like Christ, which they couldn't do before by their own strength. So Paul is saying, you have the Spirit now, walk by the Spirit. So back to our passage, uh, when Paul said, you who are spiritual, you know, what he means is that those who are helping others who are struggling in their sins, uh, they are to recognize that they have the Holy Spirit in them, and, and now the Holy Spirit can help them, and they need to receive the help from the Holy Spirit uh, to change before they help other people. And just really quick, um, allowing the Holy Spirit to help you is simply this, that you read the Word of God, and you pray and process the Word of God, the Holy Spirit uses that as a means of grace to grow you and bear fruit in your life. Uh, that's what that means, really. So that you become more patient, more joyful, more gentle. That's why we see here, um, Paul says, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's what happens when you're walking by the Spirit. You become a gentle person. So again, what this means is that the starting point of being a good helpful member of a community is that you individually walk by the Spirit uh, through the word of, word of God and prayer. That is the way you can be helpful to others. Um, let me just share one thing. It's a little embarrassing, but one thing that I'm a little ashamed of about myself. Maybe, first of all, that next slide. Uh, if you're curious, this is me. When I was in high school, um, you, know, you can kind of see, I guess hard to see, but you know, the, the hair was dyed and uh, it was parted in the middle. And uh, just wanted to be cool, wanted to fit in at the time. But anyways, when I was in high school, 
Uh, there's one thing that I really felt ashamed of, which was that when I was a sophomore, uh, I tried out for a soccer team. And I got in somehow. I don't know how, but I got in. And then I went to the first training. And I don't know how many soccer players are here in this room, but uh, it was really rigorous to the point that I literally puked on the grass and just so exhausted. So that the next time my mom drove me to the training or practice, as early in the morning, I told my mom, Mom, I quit. And that was it. That was my entire sports career in my whole life. <laughs> and, uh, and I feel ashamed because oh, man, I, I wish I stuck to it a little more. But that's what happened. And I share this because, you know, team sports are not like group projects, right? You know, group projects uh, can be where only one person can be doing all the, all the, thing, all the work and the, the rest of the members can take all the credit, right? That's kind of how they work sometimes. But team sports are not like that. Uh, meaning individual team member members have to train hard and when each member is growing in their skills, that's when the whole team can function well. And I'm saying the church community is like that. You know, each member of the community, like you and me, have to be serious about growing. Otherwise, we cannot expect the growth of the whole church family. Uh, of course, unlike sports, when I say serious, I'm not saying that growing as a Christian means that you just try hard and follow the rules. I'm not saying that. That might be true for sports. Uh, rather, again, it's about the Word of God and prayer. You take the Word of God seriously and let the Holy Spirit work through that. That's how Christians grow. And, and that's how the community can grow as well, when individual members are serious about growth. And that's why, by the way, we take this time seriously as a church, preaching of the Word, and every week when we get into our small groups and life groups, we study the Word of God because we believe, we're confident that the Holy Spirit works our study of, our, of God's Word. That's the main means of grace. So the first point is that, which I forgot, the source of the community. Second, the warning of the community. Again, verse 1, Paul says this, Keep watch on yourself, lest you to be tempted. So while Paul is exhorting them to help others who are struggling, he's warning them that, hey, there's temptation. So what could this temptation be while you're trying to help others? The answer comes in verse 3, verses 3 to 5. Verse 3 first, it says, For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Ouch. Very direct there. But what Paul is saying in this verse is that you know, he's advocating for a serious and honest self-examination. That's what Paul is trying to tell us. And how you can examine yourself is this. As, as a Christian, you examine yourself by the word of God. And when you do that, this is the result. First, you realize that you are not nothing, in a sense, because God created all of us in the image of God, so all of us have 
infinite value and dignity. That's what image of God means. So we're not nobody in that sense. However, sin entered the world and marred that beautiful image of God. So that the Bible says, all of us fall short of the glory of God and deserve His judgment, just judgment, because of the wickedness of our thoughts and our actions. And I know how wicked I can be if I'm honest with you. We all have that. We all have the skeleton in our closet. None of us are pure. So in this sense, we are all nothing. You know, we are all equally sinners in need of salvation. Nothing to boast in ourselves. That's what Paul is trying to say here. So verses 4 and 5, he says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So now what what he's saying saying in this verse is, is this. Although we're nothing in ourselves because of sin, a change happens when you become a Christian, when you believe in Christ. In Christ, all your sins are forgiven, and you also, again, receive the Holy Spirit that can bring something into nothing. That is, now your work has a value because Holy Spirit bears fruit through your work. Before, everything that you do can be or not can be, is sinful, but now Holy Spirit redeems everything. So there's something to boast about. But what to note here is that the credit for that fruit belongs to the Holy Spirit, right? Not to us. It's the Holy Spirit that produced that fruit so that when we stand before God on the judgment day, we boast about the Holy Spirit and what He did, not what we did. But Paul here says, Paul here warns us against the tendency for us to boast in ourselves. And he says, we do that often by comparing ourselves to our neighbors. Meaning, you know, I feel good about myself when I get better grades than others. When I get a promotion at work over, over my peers, over my coworkers. You know, when I get praise from my parents over my siblings. You know, when, when I get a better car, a bigger house, or more recent tech gadgets, you know, we feel better about ourselves. That's how human hearts work. So C.S. Lewis says, next slide, in uh, Mere Christianity says this. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above all the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, the pride is gone. How insightful. So now going back to the the topic of helping others. When you have this pride, when you are trying to compare yourself to others, what's going to happen when you're trying to help others is that you're going to inevitably feel better about yourself than the person that you're trying to help. Meaning you start thinking, oh, poor soul. I can help you. I got all you need. You know, just follow my lead. You know, read these books. You know, uh, listen to these podcasts and do what I do and you'll be set. Start having this pride as you try to help uh, guide that person. And, and there, 
Nothing is wrong with suggesting resources or books. Nothing is wrong with trying to help actively. But what's wrong is the motivation, right? You're trying to look good and respectable when it should be about them. And by having that pride, you're using them and you're actually treating them as your projects, not as people that you're trying to help. But the right attitude should be that you're trying to serve them for their good and for their needs. It's not about me. It's not about you. I had a friend in uh, high school and college. We became really good friends in high school, and we ended up attending the same college in Illinois. So we decided to room together. And before we moved in, we were like so excited, like, oh, okay, like we're gonna be rooming together, we're gonna be having so much fun, all of that. And then we, you know, thought about a lot of different things before we moved in. And one thing that we talked a lot about was about religion. And he told me that he had a lot of doubts about Christianity. Um, so we talked about a lot about you know what Christianity was and things like that. And at that time, I had just become a Christian. I became a Christian in my senior year in college. So I was a very recent Christian. And at some point of our conversation, I said this to my friend. I said, hey, I can help you with that. I can help you with uh, investigating Christianity. And guess what? You know, By the end of our academic year, by the time we're done with our, our year of living together, you will have become a Christian. I said that to him, to his face. And as you can imagine right now, that did not go well. Um, I think it was like not even semester long stay because we got into like huge fights. Not just about the you know, religion, but other things too. But, uh, but I think the main thing was just a lot of arguments about religion and it did not go well. So I ended up moving out uh, we ended up parting ways, and it was not fun. Uh, but I mean, afterwards we we made up and we reconciled, and you know, became a good became good friends again, and we're still good friends. Uh, I think what happened at the time was that I was imposing you know, what I believed to be true on him, and kept arguing, and by that I was showing them that I care actually more about myself. I wanted to be proven true and more respectable than my friend. But now, when I talk with him, it sounds different. It goes like more like this. I listen, and I talk very little. I keep listening, listening, and he tells me all about his doubts, and he just processes with me whenever we talk about religion. What changed is my attitude, meaning I realized, again, before my goal was about me, but now, as I have grown, I realized it should be about him, what he needs, and he needs to express freely in order to process, and I have to be walking with him instead of telling him what to do or giving him all the answers. It was about him, after all, not about me. And I regret what happened before that, but I'm really enjoying my, our conversations to, uh, these days because we feel that there's a progress in his investigation of Christianity. So again, good community starts with the individual hearts. When you are humble, when you put others' needs before your own, because the Holy Spirit is working in you, building character of Christ in you, that's when our community can be 
a selfless community where we're not arguing about things or talking at each other, but we try to help each other because it's not about me, it's about you. And I do want to mention that this does not mean that you cannot serve others when you have you know, impure motive. We all do. What I'm trying to say is God gives you grace and you are to constantly examine your heart as you serve others and help others. And that's how our community can be growing. So the warning of community. Third and last, the commitment of the community. Verse 7 and 8, please follow with me. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will, be, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from, his, from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So Paul is saying, you know, when you see the agriculture, what you sow, you reap. That's logical. And that's true for spiritual lives too. Uh, when he says sowing to one's own flesh means that you live by means of your own conviction and your own power and you do not rely on the Holy Spirit. And the result, Paul is saying, is that you'll be very disappointed in the end at the fruitlessness of your life. In contrast, sowing to the Spirit means to live in reliance on the Spirit and His power to change us. And He's promising that if this is your life, you will be satisfied in the end because you will see much fruit, again, not to your credit, but the, to the credit of the Holy Spirit. You'll enjoy the reward because of the Holy Spirit. And I do want to say here, this does not mean one can lose their salvation just because you choose to follow your flesh and not rely on the Holy Spirit here and there. What I'm trying to say here is that the general direction of your life, is it relying on the Spirit or relying on the flesh? That's what matters. We all fall along the way, but is your general orientation towards the Spirit? That's what Paul is saying. And lastly, verses 9 and 10, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Paul is, Paul is basically saying that since the day is coming when God will acknowledge the work done by the Spirit for you, that He will recognize that, He will celebrate for you in the end, here and now, persevere. Do not give up in doing good, to doing what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. Do not stop. Keep doing it, especially for the sake of the church, for, for those who are belonging to the community of faith. In other words, he is saying, keep serving the church with the power of the Spirit. Do not, uh, or have patience. Do not give up on one another. Let me show you a picture. Um, that is uh, my wedding picture. Um, my wife and I got married seven years ago. And that's a picture of us walking down the aisle after uh, we said yes to one another. And uh, 
And I have to say, uh, my wife is watching right now through the videos, I'll say, I'm very thankful for her. Um, all jokes aside, I, I'm very thankful. I'm incredibly thankful for her because I know she puts up with me a lot. I know my failures. I know my shortcomings. I'm not a perfect man by, by any means. Uh, and, and she forgives me. And she, you know, gives me grace. And I try to do the same as well for her. And that's our marriage. Um, but the reality is this. I mean, I don't know how many of us are married in this room. Um, but marriage is supposed to be hard. Because you're putting together two sinners, two selfish sinners together. So therefore, there will be a lot of conflicts. That's why marriage is hard. And in our marriages, marriage too, for our seven-year marriage, I think there have been really many good times for sure to celebrate about. But there are some low moments too, to be honest with you. And praise God that during those low moments, we didn't give up on each other. You know, we, we fought, we argued a lot during those times, but we didn't give up on each other. And it's because we made a vow. It's because we made a covenant uh, in front of everyone, but ultimately before God, that we would be faithful to one another through highs and lows. Because we believe that that pictures love between Christ and the church from the Bible. And with that commitment, you know, we've been enduring and God has been working in both of our hearts and God grew patience uh, in, in, you know, each one of our hearts. And we grew to love each other going beyond our shortcomings and flaws. That's been our marriage and that will be our marriage until the death goes apart. And the truth of the matter is that church community is like that. Church community, according to the Bible, has a covenant too. And in fact, that's what membership that I told you about earlier is all about. You make vows to one another. You make commitment to one another because this is a family. This is, in a way, a marriage, not like real marriage because, you know, we're not going to call you, you're divorcing us if you're like, you know, going somewhere else. But that kind of serious commitment to one another because it's a family. We take each other seriously and we learn to grow, to be patient with one another. Not just putting up with one another, but we grow to truly love each other, putting your needs above before mine. And that's community. And again, it starts from each one of our hearts. It starts from the Holy Spirit. And all the credit goes to Him. So may our church, whether you're new or old, stick to that. Be confident about the Word of God, that He will do His work if we take it seriously. And He will grow our hearts to be selfless to one another. And that's how family of God is formed. Let's pray together. Let's take some time before... Um, we finish with the closing song and also prayer afterwards. But I just want to give us some time to process this word of God that we just heard. And we always say in our church that the, the preaching of God's word, 
times like this is a supernatural time because we believe that God is present and He is speaking through the Word of God that is being preached. And because God is real, that means Jesus has spoken to each one of us. So each one of us must have a conviction that comes from God. So I just wanted to, wanted to give us some time to process what we just heard. Just ask God, ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, please search my heart. Speak to me and change me. And I love this time right now with you because just the thought, just the truth of how God is changing our hearts right now. Like at this very moment, He's changing us. How beautiful, how powerful this moment is. So could we enjoy this together as a church? Just asking God to search our hearts, speak to us, and we'll finish with a song. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for creating the church on earth, without which you know, we would be so lost. Uh, not only would we not be able to hear your word like this in th this kind of setting, but also we would miss out on the opportunities to receive love from one another as well as give. God, we know that you know, we have our shortcomings as a community. Um, but I know, personally too, at the same time, I witnessed something powerful this summer where something supernatural happened in our community. Uh, we all poured out into serving each other in many different ways, and I'm so grateful for this community. I pray that you would uh, continue to bless this community, God. Bless each one of us. May each one of our members in this community be touched by your spirit to be able to be more Christ-like, more selfless, more gentle, more patient with one another. And I know that I need to change first. I need to do better. I need your mercy and your grace, God. Help us grow together, Lord, as a community. And I pray that you would Encourage us along the way as you show us fruits here and there, but ultimately help us to fix our eyes on you and believe that even when we don't see things with our naked eyes, you are doing everything in ways that we don't know. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you in all of this.